As you can see, we're still getting all of the kinks uh, worked out on our video. Uh, but the question asked a good, or the youth asked a good question uh, that you may not have heard, but it was up on the screen. So let me just remind you of should we believe just because the Bible tells us so? Should we believe just because the Bible says? Now, last week we started this series uh, asking for a friend because I think sometimes it's easier if we pose our questions that way, uh, to ask for a friend or they want to know. Uh, and what I shared with you was about 25% of our population now self-identify themselves as nuns, being N-O-N-E-S. This, these are people who uh, have either walked away from religion, and that could be multiple religions, but have walked away. They just don't affiliate, non-affiliated with any style of religion. Uh, it's not that they're hostile to religion. Uh, they just don't see the, the need for it. Uh, there's no uh, reason uh, to be religious. And so often we have people like that that are in our lives. These are our children. These are our grandchildren. Some of them may be you, that you, you've drifted away uh, from what that means. Uh, and so you may identify that. And so we have to think about how do we communicate with people who see no need uh, for what we do on Sunday mornings. And often what happens in those conversations that we have is we give what I would call is our Sunday school answers. Uh, we give certain statements and phrases that we say, and we don't stop and think about and own up to what our role and responsibility is. And so last week we talked a little bit about our theology and how sometimes we present God as a God who is present. And we believe God is a God who is present, but sometimes we indicate as though that you're always going to feel the presence of God. And yet we know, probably all of us can attest to the times where we've had in our lives where we don't feel the presence of God. And so when we communicate that God is always present, when someone doesn't feel the presence of God, then it gives them permission to be able to think, well, maybe God doesn't exist. Or we say God is good and we believe that God is a good God. We believe that, but we say God is good. And so when someone looks around at the world and they see evil, they see something happen, they see something bad happen to someone good, they say, okay, if God were good, that's not going to happen. And so therefore, maybe God doesn't exist. And we have to stop and think about how do we communicate a message that is truth. And so last week in our Wednesday morning and Wednesday evening Bible studies, I really do encourage you to jump in those conversations, especially in this series. It's been very interesting. Uh, we, we talked about some of those and, and one of them, uh, one of the conversations led to someone saying that they grew up in a church that essentially taught the idea that if the Bible says it, that settles it. And so we kind of had a little bit of conversation about that mentality. The Bible says it, that settles it. And I said to them, you're really going to enjoy uh, our sermon on Sunday uh, because we often present that as our answer to people who are asking questions about faith. Jesus loves me, this I know. And probably most all of you are probably already finishing that statement. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, right? But we don't stop and think about what that statement implies. Jesus tells me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, has an implication which is 
the Bible is the reason we believe. The Bible is the reason that we believe. And so if the Bible says, says it, then that settles it. The problem is, is that if the Bible is the foundation of everything, then as the Bible goes, so goes faith. Christianity, historically, has survived many, many things. And so we stop and think if the Bible collapses in any way, then so goes our faith. And so when you get people who go away to school, and this often happens for young people, and this is what I would say when a young person asks me this question, if you go away to school and they teach you in school that there is no archaeological evidence for a worldwide flood. But what is one of the primary stories we teach in Sunday school? Noah and the ark, right? That you go to school and they talk about the fact that, you know, it, it's virtually impossible for a human being to go inside the belly of a well and not have damage and then to sit inside a well for a number of days and then to be spit out with no damage. And then yet we all know the story of Jonah. You go to school and they tell you that there's evidence that the earth is 55 billion years old. I mean, they can show you bones that are billions of years old that they have found, that they can carbon date back and all of this. And yet if you follow the timeline in Scripture, the earth is 6,000 years old. So if you create tension in the Bible, then so goes your faith. We present this idea, if, if the entire Bible isn't true, then the Bible isn't true, would be the following implication. So we struggle in how we defend our faith and Scripture. Let me tell you, Christianity is far more resilient and endurable than any of that. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Think about that. Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Your birth certificate proves something occurred, something happened. It's a document that proves. When we think about Scripture, and particularly thinking about New Testament today, but when we think about the New Testament Scripture, they document something occurring. There was an event that happened. And so I want us to think a little bit today about history, and you may not be a history buff, uh, but I will invite you to just stick with me for a little bit today when we think about Scripture, and do we believe just because the Bible tells us to? So think about this. In 30 AD, somewhere near there, Jesus was crucified. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and then about... 50 days later, he ascended and the church began. And somewhere in that time frame, 12 or so people began to go into the streets of Jerusalem and say, look, you crucified him, but he rose from the dead and we saw him. And you need to say you're sorry that you crucified him. And hundreds of people in Jerusalem began to embrace the idea of, of a risen Savior. 
Hundreds of people began to, to realize that truth. And the church began. The church began in that moment. And so that's one day. Another day to think about is in 70 A.D. 70 A.D., the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, you have to kind of go back a little bit. So go back about four years in 66 um, A.D., you began to see this Jewish revolt and uh, Vespasian uh, came down from the Galilee region, began to go through the cities and began to gather all of the people who were Jewish, trying to, to gather them together to, to end the Jewish revolt. He eventually becomes the emperor and he passes on to his son Titus, not the Titus that's in the, that wrote the book of uh, Titus in scripture, but a different Titus, passed on to his son Titus. Titus built this ditch around Jerusalem and he would pull out Hundreds and hundreds of Christians, uh, of Jewish people, every day he would pull them out and crucify them outside the city walls. Hundreds and hundreds of them every single day. And eventually, in 70 AD, they breached the wall of Jerusalem. They went into Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. This was a horrific time to be Jewish. This was a horrific, it was a horrible, horrible time persecution and existence. Now, here's the interesting thing. What I just told you about Vespasian and Titus, none of that is in Scripture. I mean, to be such a horrific time for the Jewish people, it's not told about in Matthew. It's not told about in Mark. It's not told about in Luke. It's not told about in John. It's not told about in First or Second Corinthians or Acts or Romans or Philippians or Galatians or Ephesians. Why? Why would it not be discussed? For me, kind of a logical explanation is that it had not occurred. And if that's true, then most all of your New Testament writings occurred prior to 70 AD. So it would have been in sometime in 69 AD or earlier. Now, I'll acknowledge to you that some scholars present some of the writings in the New Testament to be a little bit later, maybe somewhere in the mid 80s uh, AD. But even if that's true, even if we stretch it out to there, what you realize is all of these writings occur within my lifetime of when Jesus was resurrected. So all of these writings are occurred by people who either saw this or they knew someone who saw it. Somebody had told them the story. I think back to this past year when my grandmother passed away. And as she got older, we would have times to sit and talk to her. And she would tell me stories. And she would tell me stories of things that she saw in her life and things that happened in her life. She wanted to make sure that we captured those memories and we understood. Never did I doubt whether she was telling me the truth. She was telling me what she had seen. That's what we see in Scripture. Is the writers are writing to us things that they've seen. Things that people saw with their own two eyes. The writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in particular, they're not writing, um, they're not writing just simply a story. They are trying to place it into a historical narrative 
so that we kind of get a time frame of when things occur. This is a passage I just want you to see, and it's just one that we can kind of look at and see where they use this. So in Luke chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 3. We're just going to read a couple verses real quick just so that we can see what they do. Look at this. In Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. In the 15th year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea and Herod was ruler over Galilee... His brother Philip was ruler over Turia and Trachonitis, and Licinius was ruler over Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So when did this happen? I mean, it's what Luke is doing in this particular passage is trying to say, look, you don't have to, this didn't happen like in galaxies long ago or in, in, in an older time or anything like this. Luke is trying to, to write in and say, this is when it occurred. Check my facts. Listen, if you're going to make up something so that people would believe you, this is a very risky move. It's too easy to prove that you're lying or exaggerating. They were trying to tell us what they had seen. And then these documents became so important to the early church that they began to, to copy them. They began to, to, to go through a period where they would document it over and over and over again. There was such an explosion of documents in the very first century. There's been nothing like it ever in ancient history. There's nothing to match it until maybe you get the creation of the printing press. But this happened in the very first century, in the second century, as they worked together to copy these documents over and over again. They would distribute them to Rome and to Constantinople, to all over the area of the Mediterranean. So when you go and people say, well, you know what, I just don't know how you can believe the New Testament because they copied it and there's errors and all of this stuff. You stop and go, these, these were so important to people. And here's the thing to remember it wasn't so important that they copied it because it was just something that they believed. It was important that they copied it because they knew it was truth. That's a big difference. It wasn't just something they believed. They knew it to be true. Another day to think about is 312. And that's when Constantine becomes the emperor of the Roman Empire, the undisputed emperor. And I want you to think about this. So you have in 30-ish A.D. where Jesus is resurrected to 312 when Constantine becomes the emperor. And these were another period of time where uh, persecution for Christians um, was, was rampant. Um, this was when they were throwing Christians into the lion den, lion's den. And yet Christianity grew exponentially grew during this period. So from 30 AD to 312, it grew and grew and grew, even though it was being persecuted. Now, part of the reason that we can see how fast it grew was along the way, Constantine decided to lift the restrictions of worship and make actually Christianity the religion. Now, most scholars would say that Constantine didn't do this because he was necessarily embracing Christianity. He was doing this in order to unify his people. He looked around and he said, okay, I got to find something that's going to be and keep them in common ground with each other. And what was common was not the Roman gods, 
What was common was Christianity. What was common was belief in, in, in Jesus. And so he said, we'll let that be the religion of the day. Now think about this, because this is staggering for us to think about, is that from the time that Jesus was resurrected to the time that Constantine did this, Christianity had spread so much that that was the thing that kept them in common. And so I would make the argument that from that period, those 282 years, Christianity made some of the greatest strides that it has ever made. And all without the Bible. In fact, it wasn't until a few years later when the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, was brought together with the New Testament and put into any type of a document because it was too expensive. It took Constantine being the the emperor. He had the resources to be able to do this, uh, to be able to take those two documents and be able to put them together until we have what we now know as the Bible. And that didn't occur until 388, between 350 and 388 AD. Now, all of that is to say this, and I want you to hear this. Before the Old Testament and the New Testament, were combined and titled into what we call the Bible, Christianity had already replaced all of the Roman gods before anyone had one of these in their hands. All of that had occurred. The first, second century Christians all came to know that Jesus loved them before the Bible told them so. Think about that. First, second, Christian Christians, and then all the persecution that was going on, they all came to know that Jesus loved them before the Bible told them so. The debate at that time, and this is where it really gets interesting for us, the debate, debate at that time was not necessarily about a book. It was about an event. They were asking this question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Matthew says yes. Mark says yes. Luke says yes. John says yes. Peter says yes. James says yes. Paul says yes. That's what the debate was about. For us to be able to look at this, there there is no explanation for the success of the church if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. The success of the church is not because the Bible tells us so. The success of the church was all built around eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that version of Christianity, that understanding of Christianity was persecutable, It was compassionate, it was compelling, it was endurable, it was resistant. I mean, it was resilient. That part they could not argue with. Listen, Jesus loves you because Luke investigated and told you that it was so. Jesus loves you because the Apostle Paul, who hated Christians, believed it enough to tell you so. Jesus loves you because the original followers all were martyred because they believed it so. Jesus loves you because the early church defied an empire because they knew it to be so. We think about why we should consider Christianity. 
it's not as much about whether you struggle with one thing in particular in Scripture. It's who is Jesus? And Jesus answered the question. And God kind of put an exclamation point when he resurrected Jesus to be able to say to us, everything Jesus said is true. We are just fortunate and blessed that the people closest to Jesus documented it. They helped us to know what was true. They didn't document what they believed. They documented what they saw. They documented what they had seen with their own two eyes. And so if you have stepped away today, if somebody in your family has stepped away from God because they have read something in the Bible that challenges them, Christianity did not disrupt an empire because of what Scripture says. Christianity disrupted an empire because of a risen Savior, a resurrected Lord who loves you and proved he loved you when he died on a cross for you. This I know. Let's pray. Almighty God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that people long ago documented everything that they saw and that you have given us this incredible scripture. I pray, God, that for any of us who have struggled along the way, I pray that we can come to realize that the real answer is, or the real question is about, do we believe that you were resurrected? I do. I pray, God, for each and every person who tunes in today, I pray that they can answer yes to that question. thank God in this moment, I think like, what would Peter, Peter would say, don't get caught up in all that. Here's what I know. My friend died. I went to the tomb and it was empty. And I saw him. Help me to have that kind of faith. Help all of us to have that kind of faith so that we understand that at the end of the story, your victory is our victory. We give you all the praise and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.